What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of media and entertainment. I'm Cynthia Littleton, co-editor-in-chief of Variety. Today my guest is Carlos Jimenez, managing director of investment bank Mollis & Co. Jimenez is a top dealmaker who is in the thick of a busy period for media M&A right now. That gives him great perspective on what it is that moves the market as the industry realigns for the streaming era. As Jimenez explains, he sees great potential as worlds collide in the emerging metaverse economy. Jimenez details how he sees entertainment, live experiences, music, video games, sports, and all kinds of other activities merging into businesses that we can't even conceive of yet, but big money is betting on it. Jimenez also addresses my eternal questions about when the content bubble will burst and why we are seeing such frothy valuations for relatively small content players. That's all coming up after this break. Carlos Jimenez, Managing Director of Mollis & Co. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today in Century City. Yeah, no, thank you for having me, Cynthia. Carlos, you are in the thick of media M&A right now. You have a long list of recent deals that stretches, includes everything from Lionsgate's acquisition of Three Arts, UTA's acquisition of MediaLink, JTBC Studios' acquisition of CAA's WIIP, Netflix bought a VFX firm, Candle Media's investment in Will Smith's Westbrook banner, a lot of activity going on. I'd like to start by asking you, from what you see from the demand and what's driving the M&A activity, where do you see that the big players in media entertainment see opportunity? What are they trying to buy and assemble to position themselves for the future? Yeah, that's a great question, Cynthia. I think there's a few things happening. Um, 
first let me maybe take a step back. Like, why are we seeing all this deal activity? If you if you really take a step back, you've got number one content proliferating, right? Everybody knows that story. There's a fair number of TV shows out there these days. Yeah, exactly. By the way, got my list of shows to catch up on. Some of my clients, if they're listening to this, are going to be upset. But I haven't watched half of them or three quarters of them. It's impossible. But Don't that, tell anybody, but my list is long too. <laughs> so because if you just start thinking about that, right, in terms of the number of shows that are out there um, and the content proliferation theme, you know, there's a bunch of folks that are recognizing that, hey, there's a there's a theme occurring here around how can we make um, returns off of that trend? And it's starting with the content creation ecosystem. So the strategics need more. They need their hit to reduce churn, to get people onto their platforms. So they're craving more. You've got the independent production companies that want to, you know, satisfy that demand. And then you have the money that's basically chasing that opportunity to say, well, Gee whiz, back in the day, it used to be an opportunity to own a library, to have steady cash flows, to be a part of the ecosystem. Now, if we know that I'm going to be able to sell 5, 10, 15 TV series or films over the course of time to a specific counterparty, I'm going to ride that wave. And what's interesting, it's not just, we're seeing it not just in, in the content creators themselves, the picks and shovels around the industry is also booming. You've probably seen deals for like the real estate lots. Uh -huh. You've seen deals uh -huh. for... One of our clients that we've represented many times, like Cast and Crew, which we sold twice, mm -hmm. payroll processing. Payroll companies. Exactly. What's hotter than payroll clerks right now? Exactly. So it's um, it's it's all driven by content booming. That at its core, that's really what's driving it. It's so interesting because I see the content boom, and I see I see so many shows that we all can't keep up with, and I wonder how is all that capital that's going into production? How is how is it going to get a return? That's you know, worth enough to make it worthwhile for the for the producers. I, I, I have, can't shake the feeling that this is a very big bubble, and at some point it's going to burst on a lot of people. That there's just no way that these shows that at this volume can make the kind of margins and returns that made sitcoms and dramas a really good business. Am I just being too hidebound in my thinking? No, no. I listen. I think it's it's smart to be um, cautious whenever you see everybody running into a sector, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, we're seeing it, we'll talk maybe a little bit later about music, another sure. place where we're seeing that happen. But in general, a rising tide lifts all boats. And what I mean by that is, you know, investors want to put capital to work where they've got tailwinds, where they feel like, you know, they've got the wind at their back in terms of the capital being deployed. So if you know that there's gonna be X number of shows that are gonna get picked up, even some of the tier two and tier three studios are gonna get some of those projects. It's just a lot of like numbers. Right. So the key is to make sure that if I was an investor, uh, that I'd be partnering with the cream of the crop. So are there places where there's a chance folks will not do as well? If you're partnering with some of those studios where if there's a correction, if the content starts slowing down for whatever reason, that's where you don't wanna be exposed. You need to be with the players that you know uh, folks are going to be seeking their high-quality content and, and demanding it. Mm -hmm. So you have to, as always, choose your mate wisely. Correct, correct. There's a big difference between, you know, partnering up with one of the preeminent studios that stand for quality content versus someone who just showed up on the scene, maybe had one hit, got lucky, not as stable. Uh, track records matter. Mm -hmm. And we're saying, you know, I don't want to name names, but we have seen some really high valuations 
for companies that don't have a long track record, companies that have only been around for you know two, three, four years, how do you think that some of those lofty valuations are just a frothy market, or do you think that there's real like the 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 content creation business is changing so much and the value is coming so much more to the creators who are some of the you know behind these companies that are getting very high valuations yeah it's a good question listen multiples if you would have asked me this 10 years ago um multiples for these types of businesses they traded at high single digit low double digit multiples of ebitda or cash flow uh, now we're seeing people pricing these in the 20 to 30 times <laughs> forward one year if there's if there's more to it than just hey we're going to sell a film or a tv series make a cost plus deal and try to collect some profits there's got to be a bigger picture and oftentimes for those businesses that are attracting those very high multiples it's not only just the growth of the content itself it's getting into adjacencies whether it's direct to consumer social unscripted other parts or other facets of the of the content ecosystem mm -hmm. that's really how people justify some of the that's numbers and having said that these are elevated values. So we could be here five years from now saying, wow, those good times, they were really good back then. How do you, one thing that I know is, is, is challenging for people right now is valuations, long-term valuations. You know, what's the value of an episode of a half-hour comedy? 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the major studios controlled the pipes, the distribution. You also had to roll the dice. You made a big bet on a 60, 70, 80 million dollar rom-com or you had your avatar that where you were hoping that you know Cameron was going to deliver on a 250 million dollar picture um, that was then if you fast forward to today you've got two options uh, not a few options I should say if you're a content creator there's a few parties that are still doing that obviously and doing well although we're going to start seeing from my perspective fewer bigger temple films one of our other clients AMC you've always seen what Adam Aaron is trying to do with dynamic pricing um, they're, everyone's testing all over the place, right. okay? So even the pipes are changing. Right. But from, a, from the content creator's perspective, you know, initially people were saying, okay, we're gonna create you know, TV series that are like films. That worked for a while. One of our other clients, MRC, House of Cards, broke, that was a big breakout hit. Now you've got a ton of those out there. Um, and you can make decent margins through the cost plus model, right? You're getting a margin on top of mm -hmm. licensing that to one of the big subscription platforms. And yes, it's, it's profitable, it's predictable, as long as the show stays on air, but you're 100% right, Cynthia. The big, massive syndication payday does not exist. So people are trading you know, the grand slams for a solid double, effectively. Right. And that's okay in the short to medium run. Now, one of the things that people are now picking their heads up and saying, well, that's a nice business model, but I, I sure wish there was a, a better margin than just collecting 20, 30%, mm -hmm. okay? And what I'm seeing is people are starting to take a step back and say, all right, for a, if I'm going to spend a $7 million for a premium TV episode, um, 10, you call it 10 episodes in the series, that's $70 million for one season. That's a big bet. What if instead I could pick up a really interesting documentary about a musician that you recognize, take a Billie Eilish mm -hmm. that everybody knows. You don't have to do a ton of marketing. Everybody knows who Billie Eilish is. You make it for a fraction of the cost, you spend all of that money, you put that capital at risk, and then the return could be five or six X, not 20 or 30%. I think people are starting to realize that there's more efficient ways of spending or putting capital at risk 
mm-hmm. smaller dollars, not rolling the dice on a $100 million film, mm-hmm. on a smaller project, call it three, four, five million million to get a dock off the road, and then ultimately sell it with grand slam or home run potential. Now, the dollars are smaller, as you might imagine, mm-hmm. but I think people are starting to gravitate toward putting more money carefully at risk. And you're also seeing it, by the way, one of the other deals we just announced, we just sold uh, industrial media to Sony, an unscripted player. Mm They're own American Idol, a bunch of other uh, assets. If you think about that play, unscripted, also a lower price point. But as we've seen from Netflix and a bunch of the scripted uh, players, they're starting to pick up that content. And they've come to the conclusion that the ROI on some of that, even though it's not premium, it's working. When you look at the at the kind of the landscape, you have your financial buyers and your strategic buyers, people that want those assets for strategic reasons. What's the balance of that right now? Do you feel like there's more studios, more content companies that want to get bigger in content, or are you finding a number of financial investors that are really looking very more seriously at the rate of return over a 10-year period? I think you're seeing both. Um, and one of the things that's become apparent, it's, it's obvious now with what Kevin, Tom, and David Kestemom at Blackstone have done with Candle Media, what you're going to see is there will be another two or three or four of those established. There will be newcomers, and I can't talk about it too much, but they will be established, and they are attempting to do, maybe in slightly different lanes, but it's all around the same theme. Creating a scaled, basically, supplier of content to the entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about it at its core, it's what you know, obviously Candle's doing. Um, we will see a few others, and there's there's inklings of that already happening. Um, the logical one that uh, I can talk about because it's a client of mine. We just did, for example, we brought Apollo into Legendary. Mm-hmm. You know that was a smart investment on their part, but you know they've got bigger ambitions. Don't even think about leaving the strictly business metaverse. We'll be right back with more from Carlos Jimenez of Molus and Co. after this break. And we're back with more on Media M&A from Carlos Jimenez of Molas & Co. We certainly get the sense we know that there's a lot of dry powder, that private equity has a lot of money out there to place. Do you think, will we see a big play by a financial buyer? Do you think one of the bigger private equity players will come in for a significant studio type asset or a significant content asset? Or do you think that's going to be really a, strate- a game of strategic chess among the established Hollywood players? I think it's hard for the financial guys to play and compete with the big strategic assets. Let's take a case in point, MGM. Um, The number of financial players that would have loved to own MGM at the right price were abundant. Uh, The number of inbound calls we got around, hey, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? Um, That was the incumbent strategy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Having said that, you know, when you take a step back and think about what that Amazon could do with that asset in terms of selling some additional shoes and toilet paper, there's way more synergies than just being a pure play financial coming in and taking that over. Hence why it went at the price that it went for. And, and you also need a level of, you know, because to, you know, to put that $250 million into one movie, you need a level of capital and investment that you can, you know, that, that can be balanced out over the, over the hits over the years if, if need be. Yeah, for sure. You know, the other, there's other places, though, that are more logical places where you've seen financial capital have more of a competitive advantage relative to, you know, assets like that, that where the strategics need the content or the library. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, how I mentioned earlier the picks and shovels in and mm-hmm. around the content ecosystem. Let's take, for example, the talent agencies. Um, obviously, that path has already been laid for everybody. 
TPG has come in and partnered with CAE a long time ago. It's been almost a decade. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal investment for them. When you think about what that was, what was that? That was a derivative play on the proliferation of content. It was taking the 10% agent fee by representation to start as opposed to just making it yourself. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, obviously, CAE has blossomed into mm -hmm. something far bigger. Same with, obviously, uh, Silver Lake coming into Endeavor and partnering with Ari. Same with uh, one of our close clients, UTA. We helped. Um, we also helped bring in InvestCorp and PSP. Mm -hmm. So there, it was less likely that there was going to be mergers, You know, putting aside, obviously, the CAA ICM deal recently. Mm -hmm. For the most part, they were kind of all operating independently. And the capital came in and said to themselves, well, they're, we're, I'm not really competing against strategics, so I have an opportunity to play the theme, derivative play, and not get blown out of the water by an Amazon who's going to, they're not going to buy an agency. So that's a place where, for example, financials are using those as conduits to play the, the global idea without having competition from strategics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we're already seeing that in not only talent agencies, but management firms as well. We're seeing a lot starting to come in there. Yeah, anything, any way, any, any way to get into the talent pipeline as... Yeah, for sure. I'll tell you, um, we were fortunate to help uh, Three Arts, uh, one of the larger mm -hmm. talent management companies, a few years ago. You know, we were helping them try to figure out their destiny and said, you know, we, we ran a process for them. And ultimately, I remember at the time, I was running around town talking to all the studio heads, telling them, you know, here's the thesis. You guys are going and throwing $100 million, $200 million overall deals for one or two pieces of talent. By the way, if they're, they, they are phenomenal uh, executives or phenomenal creators, that could pay off. But I said, you know what, what if you instead owned a portion of one of the talent management firms that represent a thousand pieces of talent and you cut a deal with them where the talent itself got a better deal than they normally would have being arm's length with one of the studios. It would be a win-win. Mm -hmm. Talent wins because they get better economics and then the studio wins because they're getting additional deal flow from the talent management company. The Lionsgate Three Arts marriage, I know you helped arrange in 2018. How, four years later, what fruit has it borne? Have you, has it been successful for both companies? Oh, yes. I think it's been a great partnership. And, um, you know, obviously there's a deal term coming up soon, um, but we'll see how it ultimately shakes out. But so far, if you ask both sides, it's been, it's been perfect. And you're starting to see additional capital flow into that exact same theme. So, for example, Steve Cohen just backed obviously range, uh, and they're starting to build out their infrastructure. So, you know, you're going to see this theme proliferate. And it's not going to be just around traditional talent management where you're representing, you know, the customary film and TV stars. It's not just that. It's the TikTok stars all of a sudden. It's the social influence, the influencers. It's, it's a far different game these days. Carlos, I know that you're also involved in music and sports and gaming and all of these are areas that definitely intersect with the core Hollywood film and TV business. But now, particularly in the area of music, it just seems like they, these two markets are so intertwined. We see so much music on TV. TV really drives the needle for, for sales. What are you seeing, what, what, from your perspective, what is driving the kind of the, the continued sort of interconnectivity of these two markets? You know, what's interesting in music is, um there's a ton, even more so than film and television, there's more capital flowing into that category. And the reason for that is, if you own a piece of a show, we just talked about earlier, you get, you don't know how many seasons it's gonna run, your margin is sort of fixed, uh, or if you own a piece of library content, over time it's gonna decay, right? People aren't watching Casablanca as much as they used to back in the day. It's a natural decaying asset. 
in music, you're seeing a little bit of the opposite. Huh. Whereas no one would have predicted that Roblox or Peloton was going to start paying royalties on music. The streaming, Spotify, in and of itself, and all of the streamers, that's a huge tailwind. But all these new dollars are starting to trickle in from sources that never existed. So whereas you know film and television has a natural decay curve for a library, music is actually starting to grow. So you think about an asset class that's growing as more and more devices are able to pull up any song at any moment globally and worldwide, and more and more places where people need to pay a royalty for that music, say TikTok, for example, you see a number of people plowing into that sector. So at its core, though, what is it? It's intellectual property. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's a creative, you know, put their heart into a piece of content, and now someone is taking advantage of the, you know, the fruits of their labor over time. We certainly have noticed in the last year or so a lot of song catalog deals. People, artists with, you know, with sizable songwriting archives are really monetizing those rights quite significantly. Do you think that's part of this sort of like rising tide lifts all boats? For sure. I think the one, the number of buyers of those types of assets multiplied and that drove prices up, which then led to the owners of the intellectual property, the artist, the starving musician, et cetera, say, hey, the lawyers and representatives all of a sudden said, might not be a bad time to sell into that market. Multiples have gotten relatively high. So you've got more buyers, more sellers coming out of the woodwork, and then you've got both financials and strategics that are fine for some of the same assets. It's a recipe for deal values. And by the way, rightfully so. Like I said, going back to tailwinds, rising tide lifts all boats, that's exactly that. You know, Universal, uh, Sony, Warner, they're all doing incredibly well uh, because of the fact that the, the industry's on fire. So right now it's go, go, go. Now the one, the one caveat, um, just in, at least in today's environment, putting you know, the geopolitical environment aside and the exogenous shocks, as interest rates start to rise, people have thought about music investments as almost like a bond where it's so mm. safe, you make an investment, you're gonna get a certain yield or a certain fixed coupon, if you will. Um, as interest rates rise, I'm curious to see what happens as dollars start flowing to you know more traditional places to park your money, treasuries and the like, versus putting capital to work in the music ecosystem. Do you think there's a danger that at these high prices that people, you know, I mean, obviously there's risk in any investment, but do you think that there has been, as there as we've seen with, with content, with you know TV and movie content, TV in particular, do you think there's been a little bit of a, too much of a rush in the area of these song catalog sales? When you look at just the PE ratio of the S&P 500 or the PE ratio of technology companies just a couple of months ago, they were at insane levels. Just if you go chart it out over the course of the last 20 years, um, I think it's less about the sector specifics. Obviously, there's, you know, there's impacts around the dynamics of each individual sector, but I think it's more of like a global issue. It's around every asset class. It's frothy. We're starting to see a correction now, but I, I don't think it's just about music, just about film or television. I think it's, in general, it's inflationary, there's asset classes pressure, and people are just putting uh, premiums uh, on a lot of these assets. Mm -hmm. Microsoft made a big deal just a couple weeks ago buying Activision Blizzard, a very significant video company. Do you think we'll see more such consolidation among the EAs and the, you know, sorry, do you think we'll see more such consolidation? Electronic Arts is a big freestanding company. 1,000%. Uh, the, the future is going to be all of these worlds colliding. <laughs> um, we, we talked a little bit about sports betting. 
Um, and the idea of media companies and eyeballs partnering up with your ability to sit on the couch, watch the game, and place a bet. I predict that in the future, um, you're going to have all these Gen Zers or whatever the next generation is called playing an eSport tournament in the metaverse, okay, <laughs> betting on themselves, and it's going to be a massive market, by the way, while listening to a concert <laughs> inside of it. And if you think about it, all these worlds are colliding. It's the future and I think where where we're gonna end up. Carlos, thank you so much for letting me letting me um, letting me play twenty questions with the top MA deal maker. I wanna ask you one a little more personal question. How was it what was it that put you on the path to where you are today? That's a podcast in and of itself, <laughs> but I'll I'll try to give you the short version. Um, I came I I'm one of those fortunate people that came from very humble beginnings and very hardworking parents that taught me that education mattered a lot and gave me the tools to be able to steer me in the right direction. And then I had, I bumped like everybody else or everything else in life, you gotta get lucky a few times. Yeah. I got lucky a few times. Uh-huh. Uh, went to a good school and then uh, decided, hey, this Wall Street thing isn't, isn't so bad. It's kind of interesting and 20 plus years later, here I am. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from listeners. And please take a moment to sign up for the free Strictly Business newsletter at Variety.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Strictly Business. Strictly Business.